morning. Thank you, Fraser. I'm going to do something a wee bit different for me this morning. I don't usually, especially on a Sunday morning, like to, to jump around uh, too much. Not me, although I don't like to jump around too much either. But in the text, I don't like to move from verse to verse to verse all over the place because I think to take a, a verse out of its context is to risk missing the, the proper meaning. But... Uh, I had to mention snow this morning. I felt that it was essential given the week that we have just had and the forecast that we have for the rest of the day. It would be remiss of me not to mention snow. And so I wanted to look at a few verses in the Bible which speak of snow and to ask ourselves the question, what can we learn from these verses and what can we remember as we see the snow beginning to fall? Actually, the Bible mentions snow more than you might think. I remember uh, being at a meeting. I don't remember where it was. I don't remember who I was with. I don't remember what capacity I was there under, what hat I had on. But I do remember that there were two uh, boys, maybe young men, uh, just sitting in front of me. And uh, there was a wee one and a big one. And the wee one said something about snow. Again, I don't remember what he said. But the big one kind of looked at him and laughed a very kind of condescending laugh. It was as much a sneer as it was a laugh. And he sort of patted the younger one and the short ones. And he said, I don't think the Bible says anything about snow. And it was such the nature of the laugh. It was a kind of sneery laugh. And I thought, I really want to touch that guy's shoulder and do the same laugh, mimic the same laugh and say, actually, the Bible does talk about snow. Um, but the big guy was big, so <laughs> I kept my big mouth shut at the time. But the Bible does mention snow uh, more than you might think, and we're not going to look at every verse in the Bible which makes mention of snow, but we'll look at some of them. And there are certainly lessons that we can learn from these verses. So, firstly, we ought to be reminded of the word of God. I'm going to take my clicky thing up here. Paul's been very good to me and I'm sure he won't let me down. Now I feel sometimes I give the, the young ones a round of applause when they do something good. Actually it's these guys up here which should, should be getting the rounds of applause for rescuing me. So let's give this a shot. There we go. So firstly, we ought to be reminded of the Word of God. Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11. The Word of God is an effective word or an efficacious word. Efficacious just means that it does what it's designed to do. So the Word of God does what God has designed it to do. The Word of God does what God has sent it into the world to do. The Word of God is an efficacious words. It does what it is designed to do. So Isaiah 55 verse 10, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. The rain 
and the snow are not always welcome, but they are sent into the world with a purpose. They are sent into the world to bring forth life. Where there is water, there is life. And so NASA, when they're looking for signs of uh, extraterrestrial life, they don't look for wee green men and flying saucers up in space. They look for signs of water, because where there is water, there is life. And so when the snow and the rain falls, as unwelcome as we may find it, we ought to remember that this is sent into the world to bring forth life, and we should give thanks to God for it. Sometimes I watch the cycling on TV, and the cycling, of course, goes to all sorts of different countries. But some of the countries it goes to are very, very dry and dusty, very, very hot, and you get these kind of aerial shots of the cyclists going by, and it always takes in the the local landmarks, but when they're in these hot, dry, dusty countries, I look at the land around the cyclists and it's just dust. There's no green. It seems to me there's little life in these places. They could do with a bit of rain, a bit of snow to bring forth life. They might be hot, and I know we crave the sunshine sometimes in Airdrie, but... uh, Maybe I'm biased as a Glaswegian, but give me a dear green place any day over a dry and dusty desert. The Word of God is sent into the world with a purpose, and it will fulfill that purpose. Chiefly, the purpose of the Word of God is to bring forth, is to birth life and to sustain life. And from that life is to come fruit. And from that fruit is to come more life. That is what the Word of God chiefly is sent into the world to do. And when the church loses its confidence in the Word of God as being effective, as being powerful, then it begins to place its hope in all sorts of unhelpful and unhealthy things. They may look very good for a time. You can gather a crowd with all sorts of of different means. But you cannot make disciples without the Word of God. And that is what we are called as the Church of Christ Jesus to do, to make disciples of all nations. And to do that, we need to teach and to treasure and to honor and to obey the Word of God. God speaks, and the wise will listen and live in the light of what He has said. So that is my prayer this morning, that we would meet the living Word of God through the written Word of God, that we might live and grow and bear fruit. The written Word of God is not an end. It's not the goal in and of itself. The written Word of God is designed to lead us to the living Word of God. It's designed to lead us to the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Lord Jesus Christ will lead us, as we trust in Him, into the presence of God the Father. So, snow speaks to us of the Word of God. It is effectual. It is purposeful. 
It is sent from above to give life to those who hear and to heed its truth. So the next kind of obvious question, I think, is who is this God? Who is the God of the Word? Who is the God of the Word? The God of the Word is the sovereign and almighty God. Job 37, verse 6. He says to the snow, fall on the earth, and to the rain shower, be a mighty downpour. Deborah and Katie were absolutely desperate on Thursday for the snow to fall so that they could have a snow day off school. They were craving this heavy snowfall that some forecasters had promised. Deborah was on our phone all the time looking at all these different weather forecasts. We had uh, the, you know, Sean Batty and uh, who's the other one? I can't remember the names, but we had all the uh, weather forecasters on the TV and they were desperate for this heavy snow so that Clarkston and Ruxulloch would have a day off. They could have a snow day in the garden. Uh, as desperate as they were, they were powerless to bring this snow to come. They could have stood out in the front garden and waved to the sky, shouted in the snow, fall here. They could have done a wee snow dance. They could have spray painted the roof, you know, a big X for the snow to, to fall here. No matter what they might have done, they were utterly powerless to bring down the snow that they, they so desperately longed for. We can't even predict the weather very well. But God doesn't just predict it. He controls it. He is sovereign and almighty. As the sovereign creator, he has the right to control his creation. And as almighty God, he has the power to control that which he has made. And so when we see the snowflakes fall, we ought to remember that he is in control, that he is on the throne. Snow itself seems to cause Chaos. I wonder if you saw Glenn Mavis in the, on the national news the other day. There was a, a lorry which lost control in the snow in Glen Mavis, and it slipped all the way down a hill and into another uh, kind of van and then into a wall. And uh, it was on not only, when I say the national news, not just the Scottish news, it was on the, the UK-wide news. It, it causes chaos. Maybe you found yourself on a motorway, maybe on the M74, cars everywhere, long queues, people trying to overtake on the hard shoulder. Chaotic scenes. Snow causes chaos, it would seem. And as you watch snow fall, I, I, I uh, sat in my study the other day when the snow was falling, looking out the window, uh, daydreaming as usual, watching these flakes, it was those kind of big flakes of snow, and it's amazing to watch these flakes fall because it seems so random, it seems so chaotic. Some flakes fall this way, some flakes fall that way, some kind of spin this way, some spin that way. Some actually float back up before they come all the way back down. They're 
they're all over the place, these flakes of snow. And yet when we see these snowflakes fall, we ought to remember that we are not at the mercy of chance or of luck. It's not all chaos. Actually, God is in control of that which he has made. Even when we can't see it, even when we don't feel it, even when our lives seem to us to be so chaotic, so messy, we affirm as Christians that God is still in control, working His plans and His purposes out. God is still on the throne. He is still sovereign and almighty. We'll take a, a couple of verses from the context of, of this chapter of Job. It says, uh, chapter 37, verse 5, God's voice thunders in marvelous ways. He does great things beyond our understanding. He says to the snow, fall on the earth, and to the rain shower, be a mighty downpour. And then verse 7, so that everyone he has made may know his work. He stops all people from their labor. So if you get a snow day this week, I don't know what the forecast is for this week, but if you get a snow day this week, remember that uh, this happens, that everyone he has made may know his work. That's why he stops all people from their labor. Your snow day is a gift from God to remember him and to appreciate the beauty of his creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. I should have taken uh, pictures for the screen of individual snowflakes. Have you ever seen them magnified? Every single snowflake is a work of art greater than Picasso or Da Vinci could ever uh, hope to create. Every single snowflake is utterly unique and completely beautiful. Every single snowflake points to the glory and the greatness of the one who made it. So, the God of the Word is sovereign and He is almighty. We might begin then to think of God uh, as distant. He's so powerful. Would, would He think of us? Would He be mindful of us? And as we go on again, our next point is, is similar. There we go. So God is not only sovereign and almighty, He is holy and glorious. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 9. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took His seat. His clothing was white as snow, the hairs of his head, white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. So firstly, the snow ought to remind us of the Word of God sent from above to bring and to sustain life, and from that life, fruit 
Secondly, the snow ought to remind us that the God of the Word is sovereign and almighty. He is in control. Even when everything seems to be so chaotic, He is in control. He is on the throne. And thirdly, this God of the Word is glorious and holy. Daniel has a dream, a kind of vision of, of God, of, of heaven, and, and he paints us this picture of the God who is spirit, and uh, we have this kind of, it's like language, it's like revelation, you know, language seems to struggle to put into words what we see as we gaze into heaven itself. You get this sense that Daniel is filled with awe and with wonder. Can you remember what it was to be filled with awe and with wonder? I remember on Christmas mornings uh, running into the living room and seeing all the, the presents under the tree, and I remember that childlike sense of awe and of wonder and of expectation and anticipation. Or I remember the first time I went to a football game and you go into the stadium, and it's all kind of concrete, and you have this faint smell of pies and bovril or whatever coming across, and it's not that impressive. Then you walk up these few wee steps, and you smell the fresh air again, and as you get to the top step, you just see the, the greenness of the grass, and it's, it just takes your breath away. I suppose if your first game is an energy, you see the greenness of plastic rather than the greenness of the glass, but it's incredible. And then you look around, you see this stadium. And I remember that very vividly, the sense of wonder as, as you see this sight and as you imagine what's about to unfold before you on this uh, glorious green pitch. Uh, it's a great shame that, that as we grow up, we tend to lose that capacity to, to wonder and to be in, in, in awe. But as Daniel gets this vision, this dream of, of heaven, you, you sense, you almost taste the, the awe and the, the wonder that he is experiencing. And he describes God in all of his glory. And he says to us that God's clothing was as white as snow. Well, I don't have to describe that for you, do I? You have seen the whiteness of snow in recent days. It is so pure, so clean, and so bright when the sun shines on it. It could dazzle you, it could blind you, its brightness. Well, this is the, the brightness and the whiteness and the cleanliness that Daniel sees as he sees God, the Ancient of Days, wears brilliant white robes which speak to us of His purity and of His perfection and of His holiness and of His glory. There is not a single stain, not a single speck. There is no impurity. There is no darkness. There is no dirtiness. He is perfect and He is pure. And so again, we might just ask the question at this point in time, well, this is a wonderful and a glorious God. He is sovereign and almighty. He is holy 
and he is glorious. We might begin to think, is he distant? Surely he cannot see us, or if he does see us, surely what he sees must fill him with revulsion. Isaiah 57 says, this is what the high and exalted one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy, I live in a high and holy place. Or we could go back to Isaiah chapter 6, couldn't we? Uh, he has this vision of, we read it at the start of the service, of the God who is glorious and of the angelic host singing, holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah's reaction is this. He says, Woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. We might think of God as distant, aloof, uncaring, or we might think of God as frightening as He looks down on us this holy and perfect and pure God, as He sees us in all of the, the, the mess that is our lives, as He sees the, the dirtiness of, of, of sin. You might say with Isaiah, Woe to me, I am a man of unclean lips. I am a woman of unclean lips. I live among a people who are equally as unclean. But we need not... Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then, says Isaiah, one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. Just as the snow reminds us of the might and of the majesty of God, it also reminds us of the mercy of God. Let's look at that other verse from Isaiah. For this is what the high and lofty one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy, I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. So how does snow point us to the mercy of God. Well, again, for our last verse, we turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 1 and verse 18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Amen. God sees the reality of our sin. He sees the seriousness of our sin, and it is unspeakably offensive to Him who is holy. 
but He loves us, and He is merciful towards us. You might expect Isaiah to contrast the brilliant white of snow with something that is dark or something that is black, but instead it's crimson red. I don't know what Isaiah was thinking as he recorded these words from the Lord. Maybe as he thinks of the white with the red on the surface, maybe uh, he thinks of the blood that the sacrificial animals shed for the forgiveness of their sins. Well, we ought to, as we think of that white from the snow and as we think of the crimson red that Isaiah speaks of, we ought to look back to the Lord Jesus Christ, who shed His crimson red blood for our sins. God sent His Son into the world for us. God, the Son, took on flesh and lived as a man and died as a man on the cross for our sins. Why? So that all who come to know Him as Lord and Savior might know the reality that Isaiah speaks of in chapter 1, verse 18. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. And so we can live our lives with this sovereign, almighty, holy, and glorious God as our Father and friend, all because of Jesus. Remember, believer, as you see the snow fall, that in Christ your scarlet sins have been washed away, and you are as pure as that white snow in the eyes of God. And we give thanks to God for Jesus as we stand to sing our closing hymn together. Jesus paid it all.